we've been talking about wisdom these last three weeks in July. I've been talking about if any man lacks wisdom, let's put it up on the screen for a minute. James chapter 1, look at that bald spot. In Jesus' name, I rebuke you. <laughs> we are never allowed to have camera angles like that ever again. <laughs> yeah, it's just as bad that way, isn't it? <laughs> okay. Thank you. Yeah, can, yeah, thank you. Thank you, Davey. Can I get that off you, please? Thank you very much. What kind of hat is that? Harley Davidson is, oh, it's too big for me. Gosh, that's going to fall off my head. you got a big head, my friend. James 1, verse 5. If any of you lacks wisdom, I love the hypothetical there. I love the question, if. <laughs> like, if. Hey, if you don't think you do, you already do. Amen. If any of you lack wisdom, you should ask Oprah Winfrey. You should ask Donald Trump. You should ask Joe Biden. When he's awake, that would be a good thing to do. Um, who gives generously to all without finding fault, like I just did. Praise the Lord. I apologize. Okay. Um, and it will be given to you. So if you lack wisdom, all you got to do is ask. Amen. And I love what it says, and God gives, listen to me, generously, without finding fault. He's not going, yeah, but I know what you said last night. I know what you did. You know, um, maybe in a marriage context, I love this verse. I, I, I struggle with this verse. I don't struggle with it, but I, I struggle with making sure I give this verse in context to other verses, okay? Um, because sometimes truths are two-dimensional. They have, it's like, you know, there's a coin, there's heads and tails, uh, and we say a coin has two sides. It actually has a third side. It's the edge. And, and, and sometimes the tension in the middle. So heads and tails. Ready for, the, ready for the heads? If any man lacks wisdom, ask. Okay? So, and God doesn't find fault. So maybe, you know, God doesn't go, well, the way you spoke to your wife last night, um, you need wisdom. I go, wow, that went quiet. Um, or, for instance, here's the other verse that's the context of that. Uh, husbands, love your wives, lest your prayers be hindered. So God's going, yeah, I ain't answering your prayer. I'm not even listening. I'm going to even hinder your prayer if you're not loving your wife. Now, let's put that in context, that if you need wisdom and how to love your wife, God's not finding fault. Do you see the tension between the two? God's not going, well, I'm not going to give you wisdom because, frankly, you need wisdom. I'm not finding fault in your inability. I'm going to give you wisdom how to love your wife. It's a tension. Are you with me here? I can honestly tell you with all my heart, we've been sharing like this November, we'll be married 40 years. I love this girl more now than I have ever loved her in my life. I, I, I think it's a miracle we're still married. It has a lot more to do with what Sharon does than what I've done. And everybody said, don't you say too loud, amen. I'm looking and down there. And I love it says here, and it goes, but you're not to doubt. Because he who doubts is like a wave of the sea who's tossed by the wind. That person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Such a person is double-minded and unstable in all their ways. Here's the opening thought of this whole series. If you are double-minded 
in any area of your life where clarity and decision is need to be made, it destabilizes your whole life. Does that make sense? Now, you can be double-minded about, will I have ice cream? Why don't I have ice cream? You can be double-minded, you know, uh, you know, what will I eat? I don't know what to decide. It's not talking about that. It's talking about if you lack wisdom, you need to ask God. But when you ask him, you can't afford to doubt. You got to believe that God gave it to you. And, and actually, if you don't, if you're like that man who doubts, that woman who doubts, it says it will dist- a, a double-minded man is unstable, not just in that area of indecision, are you hearing me, or double-mindedness, it affects your whole life. And that's, the, that's the, the warning of Scripture here. But yet God is saying he's the source. It's not what you're reading. It's not what, you know, it's not what other people think and say. It's not what's found on social media. Actually, God is the source of wisdom. Can anybody say Amen. So we talked a lot about what that means and what that looks like. And then we talked about you've got to develop the art of listening and accepting discipline. I love that verse. The Lord chastises those whom he loves. And isn't it amazing how God will seem, I use the word seem, to let someone else get away with something that you are not, God's not letting you get away with. God's all over your case about something in your life, maybe a habit, Maybe a thought, maybe an attitude, you hearing me? Uh, Maybe it's just, you know, like I said, just a thought in your mind. Because remember, today's thoughts are tomorrow's realities. As a man thinks in his heart, so is he. You and I are the product of our thought life. Amen. If you want to know what your future looks like, be conscious of your thoughts. Because your life is taking you toward your most predominant thought. Are you hearing me? So God's going to be all over you on something. And you look and you see somebody else and you go, well, why don't you speak to them? Because God is never interested in the other person. He's only interested in you. Amen. And we've got to be willing to understand the Lord does discipline those whom he loves. Amen. And we've got to develop this art of listening and accepting discipline. And it's amazing how God will bring discipline into our lives. I used to say to our kids all the time, I love you no matter what you do. I just want other people to love you as well. So because of that, I'm gonna need to discipline you. And we've gotta develop that art of actually listening to God and listening to his word, not listening to culture, not listening to the world, not just listening to what other people think and say. Can you say amen? And we talked about, you know, just in in regards to sin, and we talked a lot about what is sin, and we listed those things out. If you weren't here, I would encourage you to get it. But then I talked about, and this is where I want to finish the message today, you've got to develop boundaries and bridges. There is a bridge in Australia, it's called the Sydney Harbour Bridge, there's bridges all over America, unless, of course, you lived in Hampton Roads. Then we have tunnels everywhere. And behalf of Hampton Roads, I'd like to thank the, what is it, the Department of Transport for that wonderful drive from Williamsburg yesterday down through the tunnel. That is the trip from hell. (laughs) Oh, my, the tunnel traffic is just worse than I've ever, ever seen. It took forever to get through there. 
I am looking forward to 2025 when they tell us there'll be four lanes either way from here to Hampton. Praise the Lord. I hope it's not too little, too late, but I'll take it. Amen? Praise the Lord. I'd almost pay a toll to go through there if they'd speed that up. I did say almost. Uh, bridges in Australia, Sydney Harbour Bridge. Do you know the, what the main city, uh, city of Sydney, the CBD, the Central Business District, was predominantly what we would know as like south side on this side of the water. And, and on the other side, it's called the north side, which we would call the peninsula. And the, the north side was nowhere near as valuable in real estate because to get from the city, uh, the CBD, to the north side, you had to drive way up what's called the Parramatta River and go all the way around to get to the other side. It literally would take you three hours. Uh, back in those days. And then, of course, they had ferries going across the water. But, you know, that's always challenging with weather and inconvenient and all the rest of it. So, But a woman up on the North Shore who actually did own some land, we are told, Mark and I are told, I was trying to find out the research and the history of this. She, From what I understand, she actually gave a whole bunch of real estate that frankly was valueless because it was on the other side of the harbour. And so um, one of the pieces of land that I think she donated, I couldn't really figure it out, Mark, was to the Salvation Army. Is that right? Now, to, to this day, there's still a Salvation Army conference center. Um, and she put, we're told, sort of caveats and restrictions on the land that she also owned in that area um, about there was no bars, uh, liquor stores allowed to be built on her property. And to this day, still in 2023, there are few and far between bars and b clubs and liquor stores in that whole area uh, because of what she did. Amazing, isn't it? Like the aftermath, the, the longevity of that has still affecting that area, which I think is a good thing, by the way. And, and having said that, from what I understand, uh, if she were alive today, she would be a gazillionaire. But when they built that bridge in the 19, I think it was 20s, and, they, and, and all of a sudden, the value of real estate. So there's value in building bridges. There's benefit if we're building the right kind of bridges. As it is in the natural, so it is in the spiritual. Anybody catching this? So we talked about boundaries and we talked about don't be misled, bad company corrupts good character. There's a boundary about who we associate with, amen. Psalm 26, I do not sit with the deceitful, nor do I associate with hypocrites. Uh, don't be hasty in the laying on of hands or share in the sins of others. Keep yourself pure. Don't envy the wicked. Do not desire their company. The Bible's telling us we have got to be wise about boundaries of relationships. Are you seeing this? Um, two, three, 2 Timothy 3 verse 5, having a form of godliness, but denying its power, have nothing to do with such, with such people. There's a clear warning. Titus 3 verse 10, warn a divisive person once and then warn them a second time. Then after that, have nothing to do with them. Boundary. Can you see it? That you, so you may be sure that these people, he says, you may be sure that such people are warped and sinful and they are self-condemned. I love this one. 
Proverbs 22, do not make friends with a hot-tempered person. Do not associate with one who is easily angered, or you may learn their ways and you'll yourself be ensnared. Amen. There's just a lot of scripture warning about building the right kind of boundaries who we build into our life. We talked about there's got to be boundaries in a marriage. There are some things that should not be repeated other than the context of a husband and a wife. We go around telling all our friends all our personal business. Amen? That's called wisdom. Are you hearing me? There's boundaries with self-respect. I showed a chart last week. You will not speak to me like that. And we got to learn how to build boundaries. I recommended highly a book by Dr. McLeod and Townsend on boundaries. I want to recommend it again today. I, I want to tell you, the only people who don't like these book, that book are people who don't like boundaries, are people who are codependent or people who are narcissistic and controlling. I want to tell you, you've got, the Bible says a three-chord strand is not easily broken. The only person that should be in your relationship of your marriage is you, your spouse, and the Lord. He is the third-chord strand. Because if he's in it, it's not easily broken. If it's not the Lord, it's the mother-in-law, it's the father-in-law, it's a friend. If it's someone else, then a three-chord strand is not easily broken. And it's hard to cut that out of your life. And as a pastor talking to people all the time in marriages, I see it where there's an outside influence other than the Lord. There's another voice that's directing and helping that couple make all the decisions for their lives. And I want to tell you, you just lack wisdom when you bring something and someone else other than the Lord. A third chord strand. That doesn't mean we don't seek advice, doesn't mean we don't seek wisdom, but we're careful about who the third chord strand is. Amen. So having said all that, let me, let me just bring out a, a couple of quick thoughts here about bridges. Are you ready for this? It says in, in, one, in Luke chapter 15, but the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, speaking of Jesus, this man welcomes sinners and he eats with them. I want to give you the flip side of the coin. I just gave you the heads. Now I want to give you the tails. There's boundaries, who we associate with, who we let into our life. There's boundary with our words. There's boundaries with our finances. Amen. If you don't have boundaries with your finances, I want to promise you it's only a matter of time before that'll catch up with you. If you are spending more than you're earning, you're not living with the right boundaries. Amen. There's boundaries with parenting. Amen? Like, you got to teach your kids, there will be consequences to your behavior. You're teaching them boundaries. Amen? That's all called marriage, family, parenting. I want to give you the bridge now. It says in Luke chapter 7, the son of man came eating and drinking, and you say he's a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. What's Jesus doing? He's building bridges. Who's he building with? The lost. On hearing this, Mark 2, on hearing this, Jesus said to them, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. I love this. Come on, think about it. And so I, I think in terms of our life, 2 Corinthians 6 is a great verse for Christians. Listen to this. We're going to get the balance of the bridge and the boundary. 2 Corinthians 6, this is for all the young, single, young people. Listen to me. And parents who've got kids who aren't yet married. Do not be yoked together 
with unbelievers. For what does righteousness and wickedness have in common? Or what fellowship can light have with darkness? Well, let's answer the question. It can't. Light and darkness don't mix. Amen? If it's dark and you turn a light on, the light dispels darkness. They do not coexist. All right, so the Bible's not really asking a question, it's making a statement. What harmony is there between Christ and Balaam? Or what does a believer have in common with an unbeliever? What agreement is there with the temple of God and idols? Let me answer that question. In today's culture, a whole lot of agreement. I, I see Christians trying to say, hey, there's many ways to God. If Allah's the way to God, you do you. If, if Baha's the way to God, you do you. If transcendental meditation, if, if you want to believe what you believe, you'll still go to heaven. Yet Jesus said, I am the way, the life, the truth. No one comes to the Father except through me. And we live in a pluralistic universal world where people, even pastors, have adopted wrong theology in teaching there are many ways to God. There are not many ways to God. El Shaddai, Jehovah Jireh. Jesus said, if you've seen the Father, you've seen me. And no one, no one, no one comes to the Father except through me. For I am the way to the Father. I am the truth of the Father. I am the life of the Father. Come on, somebody. And this is what God said. God himself said, uh, I will live with them and walk among them and I will be their God and they will be my people. Therefore, look at this verse now, come out from among them and be ye separate. Boundary. Come out from among them and be ye separate, says the Lord. Touch no unclean thing and I will receive you. Here's the point I really tried to make last week. Really, there's a big difference between being separated and isolated. And God wants us to live separate. We're in the world, we're just not of the world. And we've got to get this tension between this idea of where we build boundaries and where we build bridges. And everything of Jesus' life building bridges was with the lost. He said to the 99, you're all good, I'm going after the one that doesn't know where he is. Amen? And yet every time he did it, he had a positive effect on them. They did not have a negative effect on him. And as Christians, we got to ask ourselves, when we're in the world and we're not of the world, we are separated, but we are not isolated. And we can live in a little cocoon. We can be a prisoner within a religious culture. We can have a Christian boss and a Christian company and a Christian college and a Christian school and Christian music. And I don't want to tell you, if we're not careful, we can actually end up being isolated rather than separated. And the devil's counterfeit for God's wonderful truth of separation is isolation. If he can't get you to backslide, he will try to get you to isolate yourself from the big bad world, have nothing to do with it, stick your head in the sand, you go to heaven, but don't have anything with people who are lost, don't have any connection with them, so you go to heaven and the rest of the world can go to hell. That's the devil's counterfeit for the wonderful truth of being separate 
versus isolated. Come on, somebody say amen. So let, let's go there. Look at Ecclesiastes. I live my life by this verse. I'm going to ask a friend of mine, a couple of people here today, and they don't know I'm going to ask them, but I think I have profound respect for them on how they have built bridges over the years. So Ecclesiastes 11 verse 1, cast your bread upon the waters, for you will find it after many days. Look what it says. This is wisdom. Give portion to seven, even to eight, for you do not know what disaster may happen on the earth. Do you know what the Bible's saying here? The wisest men in all the world. He's saying, make sure you don't put all your eggs in one basket. Make sure you're building bridges. Make sure you're building connections and relationships. Give portions to seven, even to eight. You don't know which one's gonna bring a good return. Amen? But if you're, if you're putting everything in just one option here, then you could actually minimize the effectiveness of what can come back to you. Does it make sense? It says, listen, cast your bread upon the waters. In other words, sow seed, build bridges, do business, amen? Now, I'm not saying we should live with options in the sense of compromising in terms of the word of God. I'm not saying that. I'm not saying if you don't like your first wife, try seven or eight. I'm, I'm thinking about friendships, relationships. Keep sowing seed. Sow seed here. Cast your bread upon the waters. Give portions to seven, even to eight. You don't know which one's going to come back. Amen? So here, the Bible's giving us wisdom. What, what it's saying is build bridges. And I want to emphasize this because I've learned from a couple people. I don't know, is, I don't know if he's here today. I, I do see him. Camera people, stick with me here. Um, Bob Clay, I want to talk to you about the, the bridges you built in your life. There you are, Bob. I see you. Praise the Lord. This is to keep the camera people busy. They tell me I'm not allowed to do this. They don't like me moving around the auditorium because they say we never get the lighting right. But give the camera guys a hand. They follow me. So, so Bob, let, let me ask you the question because I have profound respect for you. I've seen you over the years in your company. You um, owned a John Deere dealership here in this area and you value your reputation. And so sometimes maybe a customer wasn't happy with the end result or something, um, you know, I don't know, warranty, something broke down. You, now you're not dumb, you're not gonna let people walk all over you, I understand that. You're a very savvy businessman. But at the same time, you're not just trying to deal with the situation today. You're trying to build a bridge about, I want this guy, when this piece of machinery gets too old, to come back and buy another piece, is that right? So I, I've heard you tell me the story where you've gone out of your way to make sure the customer has always been satisfied, to give them the best customer service can you just explain what that looks like? Yes, what it looks like, Steve, is back in 1990, I'd pull my managers together. I wanted them to think like I did. And we went to Proverbs 22.1 that says, a good life is better than silver and gold to be esteemed better than great riches. And so we adopted that. And then I was able to tell my managers, look, a customer has an issue or a problem, you solve it for them. A customer comes and says, I need this done because I don't think it was done right. Do it. I had one customer that uh, 
had an issue with the machine that we sold that didn't have anything to do with the manufacturing. It had something to do with how the fuel system operated. It was a $250,000 machine, and it kept coming back to us, and we would have to lend him one. Kept coming back, and he called me together with my team, called his team together, and we walked into his conference room, and I looked at him and I said, I know what your issue is. You want to return the machine. You've had it for six months. I'm telling you the history behind it. I said, I'll, take, I'll give you your money back and I'll take the machine back. However, I think we know what the issue is. I want you to keep it for another two months. And if it's not right, I'll give you your money back and take the machine. And uh, a year later, he bought another machine from us just like it because we did what was right, not only before him, but what was right before the Lord. That's right. Yep. And, and, and I want you to hear it. Did you get repeat business? Yes. And that's the point. Sometimes we're, we are so determined that if we're going to be, you know, these, these sharp, savvy people, that the best thing is gets what's good for us and let's just do the deal. But you don't understand you've actually burnt a future relationship and repeat business. And we've got to be smart. Think about this in family. Oh, I've seen family get this just upside down. They're so intent on being right and winning an argument. They've lost the relationship with that family member forever. And I just think to myself, our job as Christians is to build bridges and to see value in people. And sometimes the best thing to do in family is to take the high road and just own the problem. And even, listen, here's, you ready for it? I'm sorry. And not, not this, I'm, I'm not, I'm sorry if how you misinterpreted what I meant. I'm sorry that what I did has made you feel that way. And I fully own it and I want to do everything I can to make that right. Because we're building bridges. One of them, Toby, I have such profound respect for you because I've watched you over many years where you could have actually ended rightly some relationships, but you chose because you want these relationships to be in your future to always circumnavigate a way around the problems. Can you talk to us about an example of what I'm talking about? You know, sometimes you have customers that uh, just aren't happy people. But they could be back. So years ago, we set up a department called the Solutions Department. And if you call that department, or if you reach out to us, we'll refer it to that department. It's run by Paul Murdoch. And if you're not happy, they will call you. And typically, they're going to send you money. Because that's what everybody wants you to do. They want you to admit some sort of fault even when you're not, because they have bad credit or whatever, and for years. And it's, I don't know what the number is now, but it typically was between fifteen and 20000 a month that we were giving back to people. But we got referrals. They were shocked that someone would actually call them and listen and deal with them. Now, that, that cost you money out of your company. So I'd like to lodge a complaint right now. <laughs> what would you say to someone who says, yeah? You know, 
Unfortunately, you didn't do your mortgage with us. Now, that is a true story. That is a true story. <laughs> that is true. Um, but I, I watched Toby a couple of times. You know, we've been dealing with some situations here at the church, and Toby's part of my advisory team, our building advisory team. And I, I, I've had to, Toby goes, Steve, what do you want this to look like in five years? Because you could be right, but you could end this relationship. You could ruin this. And, and there'll be no future relationship. And think about in 10 years. And I'm telling you, he has affected my thought process about building bridges. There's times when you're going to make some tough decisions and there's got to be a hard no. I'm not saying that, but I'm just trying to get some wisdom here. Give portions of seven to eight. You don't know which one's going to come back to you. Don't burn a bridge. Or where that bridge goes brings value is my point. And I just feel a Holy Spirit really put this, I hope I'm honoring what I feel God put in my heart to just speak to a number of different people today about you be the bridge builder. You be the one to make the difference. I'm not saying like uh, if someone's really uh, betrayed you or crossed you, that that's what I'm saying. You build a boundary there. But you don't get bitter. You don't live in unforgiveness because let me tell you something. You become what you cannot forgive. Do you hear me? As a little boy, I used to say, I will not do to my kids what my parents did to me. I used to vow their drunkenness was, I used to say, it's wrong, it's awful. I, will, I used to say, I won't drink like that. Do you know, at the age of 13, I started drinking. You know why? The Bible says, bring up a child in the way that they should go, and when they're old, they won't depart. As true as that is, so is the negative. Bring up a child in the way that they shouldn't go, and you're tied to that, and that's all you know, and you become that. Does that make sense? Thank God, when I was 17, I became a Christian, and that curse of alcohol and alcoholism was broken off our lives in Jesus' name. So let me give you some verses. Proverbs 18, verse 24. A man that has friends must show himself to be friendly. So there's a thought. Build a bridge. People are as friendly as you. You ever heard someone say, I don't go to that church. It's unfriendly. Nobody said hi to me. It's really unfriendly. It's really unfriendly. Did it ever occur to you? You might be the unfriendly one. Amen? Okay, he who wants friends must show himself to be Friendly, amen. Okay, look at, uh, look at this, Proverbs 18, verse 24. One who has unreliable friends soon comes to ruin, but there is a friend that sticks closer than a brother. Proverbs 17, 17. I live by this verse. Listen to it. A friend loves at all times. I've got some friends who've messed up. They've made some really dumb choices in their lives. But if I'm your friend, I'm your friend. And I'm going to love you all the time. Now, I might slap you privately. Amen. I might get in your grill and say, own this thing. You screwed up. But you, other people start speaking all of that, friend. You're going to stop right there. I love this person. Amen. And, and so, and it says, and a brother was born for adversity. Right now, I've got a good friend. His name's Paul DeYoung. 
He's fighting for his life. Keep him in your prayers. He's undergoing what's called immunotherapy treatment. The brain tumor, by the grace of God, is showing no evidence of any growth or any reoccurrence. But in his body, in his liver and his lungs, they tell him that they're going to able to do immunotherapy treatment till the end of the year. Then after that, there's nothing more they can do. And so I am praying for my friend. But let me tell you, I have flown over there twice already to see with him. You know why? I was born for those moments. I was born for a moment where I'm gonna step in. I'm gonna be with you. I'm gonna hold your hands up. I'm fighting the good fight of faith with you. I'm believing for your healing. I'm trusting God for his goodness. But I'm also gonna be with you to navigate the seasons and the decisions you need to make in the midst of all those realities. Can I tell you, friends, we are called to be bridge builders. And there's value in building the bridge because the real estate on the other side is going to increase in its value if you build the bridge in Jesus' name. Look at this verse. This is one of the most challenging verses in the Bible. You're not going to like it. I just advise you walk out now before I read it. Job 42, verse 10. Yeah, you all went Job. After Job, after Job, after Job. Get the word after, it's an important word. After Job prayed for his friends, the Lord restored his fortunes and gave him twice as much as he had before. Can I talk to you about who these friends are? These are the friends that said, Be all this bad stuff that's happened to you, you must be the most wicked, sinful person. You come across eloquent. You come across godly. But there must be some very deep, dark sin. They're his friends. It only gets worse after that. And after Joe prayed for his friends, pray for them. Here's my prayer. God, smite them. God, defend me. God, judge them. No, after he prayed for them, the people who were criticizing him, the Lord gave Job twice as much as if maybe what is holding back the blessing of God on your life is you're not praying for the people because you're just going over something. And I want to say, come on, build a bridge. Colossians 3.13. Bear with each other and forgive one another. And if you have any grievance to give against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. Last verse, do not forsake your friend or a friend of your family. Do not go to your relative's house when disaster strikes you. Look at the wisdom. Better a neighbor nearby than a relative far away. For those who are in the military, look at me for a minute. I want you to look at this Bible verse. This is your church family. We are not replacing your real biological family. Please don't think I would ever do that. 
But the Bible says, better a friend nearby. See, I know in the military, they will say, don't get close to people because you don't know how long you're going to be there for you and you're going to have to deal with having to move away from them and, you're not, and, and it's just going to hurt you and upset you. But the Bible says, better a friend nearby than a relative far away. Now, here on the front row was a very good friend of mine. His name's Dave Braddock. We've been friends for 25 years since the day I arrived in, uh, in this church. I've known this man. And he's got family around America, in Florida, around the United States. And Dave, would you say the times when things have gotten a little tougher, you thank God for family, but don't you understand, would you agree with this verse that it's the power of the community God's put you in? Absolutely, definitely. Yeah. Talk. Yeah, there's nothing that, <laughs> there's nothing can substitute for the closeness of friends and family right where you are. Yeah. And this church and all the people in it have been our family for years. And I'm not trying to get someone to say something good about the church. That's not, the, the wisdom principle is this. And thank you for saying something good about the church. But the wisdom principle is this. Better a friend nearby than a relative far away. Amen? Because there's someone who can come quickly. There's someone who can pray with you. Someone who can, and that's not to say family can't help. Because they can and they do and they want to. As much as I'd love to be with my buddy Paul DeYong, I can't get on a plane every day. Amen? Make sense? So we build bridges. All I need is my family. No, that's not all you need. God is all I need. No. Even God himself says I'm not all you need. God says it is not good for man to be alone. Was God there when he said it? Mm Mm-hmm. God was saying, I'm not all you need. You're created to be in relationship. And I just want to close by saying, come on. Let's make sure we're building bridges. Let's think about, let's think past lunch. Let's think about winning the argument. Let's think about preserving friendships. Here's my theory. This is what I, if you were to say, Steve, put it in a pregnant sentence. Maximize your friends and minimize your enemies. 